Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. This is episode 91, and this is part of our third man series where we're going to be focusing on the topic of the best body swap movies. Um, and our guest today, the third man in this case, is uh, Mr. Jimmy Custis. He wrote, starred in, and produced the 2020 romantic comedy Body Swap, which is currently available to rent or own on Vimeo, and the link will be in our episode description. Body Swap has won Best Comedy Feature at World Fest Houston and Best Feature at Louisville's International Festival Film and the Peachtree International Film Festival. Jimmy, welcome to the podcast, and thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. Um, well, I'm happy to be here and happy yeah. that I got to watch all the Mef- uh, and I can't pronounce Me- it. Mephisto Waltz. Mephisto Waltz. <laughs> yeah. They say it, and it's another one of those movies, just like Face Off, where they say the title in it, but I didn't. <laughs> it's uh, pretty early on in the movie, so. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah. So um, how how are you and like how are things going in your neck of the woods during this um, hellacious year that we're experiencing? Kentucky's a bit interesting in that it's it's got a Democratic governor, uh, so there's like the whole conspiracies around that, like that uh, he didn't win his election that uh, and stuff, and he locks down <laughs> really tight, unlike Florida or Georgia, like he's been locking down really tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people don't like that, but at least he doesn't put like sick nursing home patients, like five Democratic governors got in trouble for putting sick COVID patients in the nursing home. So at least he hasn't gone that far. But <laughs> people don't like these Democratic governors because they're too tight on the restrictions, I guess, compared to yeah. Like Florida. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have something similar here where um, even though it's a Republican governor um, in Maryland right now, he's one of the few that... Um, was pretty firmly uh anti-trump um early on mm-hmm. and has uh larry hogan and his um um and he uh locked things down pretty quickly uh, when everything began and um we were actually doing pretty good um particularly in our county where we live in the northeast part of maryland but um uh the the cases have just skyrocketed around here worse than well, that was always interesting from the media i can see you not liking trump like uh, the media said, oh, Trump did a terrible job and Cuomo did a good job. And I'm like, well, you could say they both did a bad job, but no way can you get that because New York is the only state that really got hit. When you factor that in the United States, we look bad. But like outside New York, we haven't really been hit that hard, which is good compared to like Spain and Italy and UK. We, sure. I mean, I think Florida, Texas, and uh, California all like combined are like three times the size of New York or four, four times the size of New York State, and they weren't uh, probably like half or even less the cases of them. Yeah, I, so I'm really interested. I, I wonder maybe it was the subways or something that New York had those troubles. It's got to uh, be the proximity of how close people are together. Are people um, all crammed together. Yeah, because I mean, like the numbers around here in Maryland, you know, Baltimore and those kind of areas were much worse than, um, you know, our area, which is pretty rural overall. Um, So, I mean, our numbers were much lower than the cities. So it has to be some kind of proximity of the number of people, um, you know, on top of one another. Um, So what what are your what are the restrictions like around there? Like for for you all, like. um, Uh, Well, masks are mandatory. mm -hmm. And so people just don't like that because Kentucky never got hit. Um, and it's not a very clustered place, so there's no need for it. Uh, I don't know how, 
I think people will be done with the mask in spring. Like, unless there's dead people in the streets, they just uh, knock on wood. They don't. Yeah. I don't think they'll put up with it past that. Yeah. I mean, as far as Biden, I mean, if the goal was to get people to wear masks and take vaccines, I would think Trump would have been a better mm-hmm. choice for that because people are really the type of people that are going to rebel against that are people that don't like Biden. So right. it's going to be tough if uh, for any of that stuff to carry on. Uh, I don't know, but uh, you got a uh, COVID talk instead of a film talk today. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, the first thing I wanted to know when um, I was thinking about when I was watching this movie, I was thinking about it is like, where does the first kernel of the idea, like when you sit down to like write a movie, where's the first kernel of the idea here come from for Body Swap? Like, do you remember like the moment you had like, you know, this is what I want to write? I think just 17 again, and um, which was a Zac Efron movie and Change Up were around that time. 2010, mm-hmm. 2011, when I wrote the screenplay, I didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't film until like eight or so years later, mm-hmm. um, back a year ago. But those were around. I thought, oh, I think even before the change up, it was like an R rated body swap would be funny, gender swap would be funny. Um, uh, so we didn't go R, we just sort of brush against it. Right. But, uh, then there was some gender swap and then that change up came out and that was already, but the, the new technique was combining a genre you've seen before the romantic comedy with the body swap comedy. And I thought instead of trying to be original, do two genres mixed. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I, I thought it was a, an extremely interesting idea. So, um, so, okay. So you get this idea. I mean, um, you know, I have, I've tried writing scripts when I was younger and stuff like that, but it's like, um, so, but I, I read all of like the books and stuff. So it's like, you know, do you have a process for writing? Um, like, you know, are you one of these type of people? Do you just write when you can? Do you have like, you know, do you make sure you cut out so many hours out of the day to write? Like, how do you go about once you have the idea? Um, well, like I have two screenplay ideas right now that I'm not writing down. Um, they're just sort of percolating. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I have two screenplays that are, I think, solid enough to go shoot. So I don't write down everything I have. Maybe I should. Uh, but when I start, I try to aim for three a day for a month. And it usually winds up being three or four months because it, it starts to slow down. Um, a good technique is maybe like I don't do anything. Um, can't watch TV. Can't do anything until... Uh, I get my three pages done when I'm in a script writing mode. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so the initial script for this uh, movie, um, how long was it initially? Did you end up cutting things from the initial script at all? I think the initial script was about the same length as the movie, but things are different from the movie than the script. So it's a 70-page screenplay, but the screenplay's got things omitted, and then uh, the movie's got things added. Mm-hmm. um to get to that how did how did how did some of those things come about is it just through the course of filming that things needed to change or yeah locations shooting in cars there were a few scenes in cars that are mm-hmm. we did not know how to shoot and make look good mm-hmm. um there's a lot of static shots in the movie um so we did it that way uh maybe just we we needed to get some information across that bridged a scene to another scene that 
maybe wasn't clear to people. Uh, yeah, the stuff like that's uh, common. Did you? Um, I really like the 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 humanist like dialogue in the movie. Like, I like the fact that it sounds naturalistic, even though there's some stylized stuff in it. So. Do you find that you pull a lot of your dialogue from actual like conversations with people you know, or is a lot of it just like um, invented to fit your team? I'm glad to hear you say that, Frank, because not many people have said that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think Tim, the director, definitely has a, a um, an interest in that type of filmmaking, and he comes from that filmmaking. He's he knows every single person in. Mumblecore from Greta Gerwig to Linda Dunham to uh, Kentucky Oddly. He knows them all. So he's he's from the Mumblecore school, uh, if you know about those films. Yeah, sure. Uh, and actually made a, a Kate Linshell, who's just in a She Dies Tomorrow. Right? That one that came out this year? Do you I'm, remember that I'm not, one? I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, it was a popular film this summer. Okay. Uh, he made a movie with her called Men Go to Battle, and that's on Netflix. Okay. And that's got the naturalistic sort of um, style to it. I'm a pretty big fan of that in, um, in dialogue, like where it feels like pulled from actual conversation rather than, you know, like I find in a lot of, because I watch a lot of, I don't know, we call them like indie movies or like stuff that's like, yeah, like out, outside of like the, the standard Hollywood films. And mm-hmm. a lot of times you find like a lot of forced dialogue in that and it's, it can get kind of overwhelming, but I didn't find that. Like I really enjoyed the conversations between people in this movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's mumble core light. It's not, they're not mumbling. Um, I think you can pick up what they're saying, but oh, yeah. it's, and it's scripted. Uh, those movies aren't, but I'm sure with Tim and I on it, on the project, it, it, it uh, is in that genre in that wheelhouse. Yeah, it was that. Um, I I also watched um the movie that you have out. I think it was on No Budge. Um, yes. uh, New Cops. Oh, thank you. Um, and um, uh, yeah, I noticed that specifically with Tim himself. Um, it seems like at times, like uh, it, it all again, it sounded very naturalistic to me. A lot of times, the dialogue. Um, I'm assuming how how long was that shot before you did Body Swap? Well, you notice in that movie we change looks a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was shot over the course of like eight years. It was a casual film. I mm-hmm. think even in the description we say that. Um, it was lucky. It was it, uh, got uh, James Franco wrote an article about Men Go to Battle, that movie I mentioned that starred mm-hmm. him. And mm-hmm. he gave it a little mention of New Cops. Like <laughs> James Franco did not see New Cops, mm-hmm. but he at least mentioned it just for fun. <laughs> I don't know right. why. And uh, so it got mentioned in Gawker, which was big at the time. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still around. It got sued. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it did, uh, it's on No Budge, which is from Kentucky Oddly, and you can go see that. And yeah, he 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 improvised the whole thing. Instead of Body Swap, where we had a screenplay, we improvised the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe that's exactly why then I was hearing that kind of like natural dialogue, like coming out if it was all improvised. And, what, um, and what's interesting is, uh, New Cops has an appear- one of the few appearances by Chris Wilson, who has an HBO show coming out called, uh, Chris Wilson something. I don't know, but okay. he's, he's got a show coming out. Awesome. Great. 
Um, so one of the things, another thing with the screenplay that I was thinking about is um, you, it seems like you make a choice, or at least I'm assuming that um, the, the framing at the beginning of the movie, you know that um, Casey and CJ are together from the very get-go pretty much um, uh, through, through the way that you, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, you know that, the, the framing technique. Why did you choose to let the audience know right away that these two end up together exactly? Well, that's interesting is that uh, I cut together four trailers, two are out. Um, they're 90s, 80s, modern trailer, and 70s. And uh, none of them I use the couch scenes or the interview scenes. Um, there's both couch scenes that aren't that. <laughs> I get them confused in there. But, they, you know, the beginning scenes that where they're being interviewed, I don't use any of those clips because I wanted to keep it a surprise. But... It's not that much of a surprise because it starts off the movie. So, uh, yeah, in the marketing, I don't do that. But in the story-wise, I think it's it's good for them to know that they're going to be together instead of wondering, is it a romantic comedy? Is it, what is it? You know, what? why are they switching places in the first place? Uh, and that was, a so it's sort of just, we added those later to clear up things and make, things more uh uh make the audience understand things more yeah because i think i thought it was interesting because to me it put a little bit more of an emphasis on the change of the two characters by the end as opposed to the idea of the almost mystery of will they get together or not it took mm -hmm. the focus off of that and allowed the you know the kind of the point of the movie at probably the end almost be the change that took place inside of the two characters and put more focus on that which i thought was interesting yeah, that was definitely an idea from Tim, the director, who thought um, it was missing something to uh, ground it a little bit, like in the documentary styles and stuff. So we just shamelessly rip when Harry met Sally and use that. Right. Um, okay, so you have a script. What... Um... How did you go about like raising funds for this? Like, you know, because um, I'm assuming you did it all locally, right? Yeah, locally... Uh, people working for less than they would normally, I guess it's hard to say. I mean, uh, everyone got paid on time and paid a pretty good salary, but, uh, uh, as far as bringing more equipment, they like brought their own equipment and stuff like that and went above and beyond, or the actors would do their own makeup and wardrobe. Mm -hmm. So that cut the budget down me working for free on all my tasks. And then I sold my house and I could have either bought another house um, which I, maybe I'll just do with the funds. If go to bodyswapmovie.com so I can get a house. I've been living in <laughs> Airbnbs. I've been renting Airbnbs and asking the people if I can rent out the rooms, and and so that would pay for my Airbnb for the month is renting out the rooms, um, and sort of changing the beds and all that stuff. Uh, and so I got to be a hundred five star review, a hundred reviews, five stars on Airbnb uh, as a host. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing that. I sold my house and, uh, a, a well-off friend came in at the last minute, uh, worth being a Miller and he, um, put, uh, so a little bit more money into it. Um, uh, just like some rainy day funds as we went along to film festivals and such. Um, and the and the locations themselves, like you know, like the the office space, those kind of things. How do those things come about? Like as you're as you're making. Oh, those on? were well, like one of the two of the houses are like our, you know, 
uh, one of my friend's house and mm -hmm. uh, the director's house. Uh, the office and the bars and stuff are local areas where um, they're excited to have a film shooting there. It's in Louisville, Kentucky. We do shoot a few things. Um, just recently, my mom was watching a Hallmark movie exactly like that thing. And uh, it was it took place in LaGrange, Kentucky. So there are a few things shot here, but it's, it's unique enough though, where they're not uh, turned off by letting us use locations. I hear even in Atlanta where they're shooting all the time that they're uh, excited to uh, have stuff shoot there. So yeah. it just depends. I think Los Angeles, maybe they're tuckered out of people <laughs> using their locations. Probably. Yeah what was um what was your casting process like for the movie like did you know any of these people beforehand from other projects or was it all just kind of like an open casting well the five main characters which are me and uh uh erica manny ella jordan katie geralt and gunner willis those four i just had a ca online casting call and they auditioned through online Everyone else past that, where you see them working at Versa, the boss, Ted, uh, Christina, the Cupcake Girls, all those are Louisville people. Either we knew prior or, or didn't, um, but they were Louisville actors. An another out-of-town person was the actress uh, that's in the Hallmark movie, Ariel D. King. We were looking for local actresses, but she's applied. So I'm like, if you want to come in, uh, we'll get you a hotel because you're paying for your flight <laughs> that's how cheap we are but they, they she applied for a local part and i'm like i can't fly anybody in for this little part but uh i was like you get paid and you get a hotel room we'll, we'll do that for you and uh so she was out of town but everyone else and even in the hallmark scene was local actors including uh tim northern who's a stand-up in louisville and uh he runs the tim northern comedy festival and he doesn't do any stand-up for the Tim Northern Comedy Festival, it's uh, it's, it's other standups, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's the security guard you see in that little Hallmark scene, and then uh, the Santa Claus that comes in—that's uh, Tim Morton's dad. He's an actor himself. He's been on Beauty Mark and all these films. So, is your ultimate goal like to move into more? I don't know, like of a Hollywood setting. Like, would you like to? Oh no! Like I move think, away from like the indie style of filmmaking, I suppose. No, I'm gonna stay in it. Um, it's the future. Self distribution, I think, is the future. Um, yeah. uh, it's gonna be hard to actually make these Hollywood projects in the future. Um, whereas the style of supply your own clothes, makeup, have crew, be background actors, have actors work on the crew that are main actors. You know, like doing things behind the scenes after uh, they're done shooting their scenes like the indie style, that's going right. to be much more popular. Um, and people that know how to do that uh, are going to be ahead. So I don't think the Hollywood style is going to stay. If the theaters don't open like they used to, it's going to be hard to uh, justify those budgets. Yeah, definitely. Especially since people's attention spans are shot. Um, you might You might see the big budget stuff. You might I mean, I'm guessing the big budget TV shows do well enough that they could do Marvel stuff and 
Mandalorian. I don't know, but I don't. I I, I just I'm interested in what will happen. Their their budgets are much different than mine, and that they own the newspapers and they own the TV stations, so they can advertise their own movies and then buy the movies when they want to show them on uh, on their on their TNT or whatever. So it's like a whole you know synergistic. They they own everything, so they're not as uh, on the hook for if a movie does badly. Um, there's always money in it, even if they're just showing it on cable, like. Shawshank Redemption you know so I don't know I mean I think it also that they don't have to share the profits with studios especially the ones like Amazon that may own their own distribution it might it might be uh might be advantageous but we'll just see so how do you how do you deal with distribution like you're on Vimeo but could you expand out into other well Amazon's free and they don't have as strict quality control um iTunes we're going to be on iTunes and Redbox and I think we've done everything that quality control needs it's like stereo mix the color has to be precise um and then you get on iTunes it's just a little bit more uh quality control standards than Amazon but we'll probably have it on Amazon for sale in iTunes it was going to be December uh, I don't know if it's still going to be that um I got it to the people this is mid November so uh, hopefully it'll be there in December, but January's fine if that's the case. Uh, I'd like people to see it during the holidays. It'll be good. But um, yeah, so that's a uh, process where you can just reach out to them and submit uh, the movie. No, you go through either Bitmax or Quiver, and there may be a few others. Uh, one that folded was Distriber, uh, but they. Uh, They'll take your quiver will go to like eleven places and then Bitmax will go to about six. Six of those well, five of those they share in common and then Bitmax has Redbox on demand, which Quiver doesn't. And Quiver has like four or five more that Bitmax doesn't. But Quiver will won't they pay out like three months after and they're and they're not as uh they're not as hands on. So I went with Bitmax for uh this initial release and I might I might go to Quiver for a few more platforms, but if if it does well on those initial, but as far as like the big ones, I just go to Bitmax. I'm I'm plugging them. I think they charge a good rate for how much work they do for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they've been a good partner. With your um with your restrictions around there, is there anything that's been kind of impacted by um you know by like your COVID restrictions in terms of what you've been working on or um. I could have gone through with my next project if I had a little bit more money. I had some. I would have gone broke doing it. Um, and so I, I pulled the plug and we'll do it when when the time's right. I, the only thing that was holding it back is locations were like worried uh, we were going to breathe COVID all over their stuff or something. I don't know. I was like, I test everybody before they go in there. But uh, uh these were locations supplied by friends for free that I was counting on. So if I was paying for locations like Airbnb, uh, I, I could just do whatever. And so that might be the next thing is just Airbnb. I'm sure. Yeah. So is that, is that she's a princess? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, okay. yeah, that's what I was working on. Okay. Uh, and what's and the premise so, of that movie exactly? Uh, I'm like a fashion forward 
a narcissistic guy that's and his girlfriend's also the same way where they're very Instagram, social media. And so she becomes a princess. He's still a loser. It's, it's simply the same thing. And you follow the two characters on their different journeys. And he's gets in trouble for yelling at her in front of the paparazzi because uh, uh, she's the princess. And that's uh, that's the premise, basically. Okay. And she goes and runs off and joins a cult that's like uh, Nexium. <laughs> that's not that's not untrue. We put that in there. We wanted to make it. We wanted to make a Nexium movie before the Vow came out. Uh, we didn't even know the Vow was coming out, and uh-huh. uh, we decided just combine the two and thing. So and that's what happens. Well, I'll definitely watch that. So yeah, oh, thank you. Um, so. I have one more question. So, how did you get your start, Jimmy? Like, um, like, did did you have any education in it? Did you learn everything yourself? Like, because it seems like you know, like, you know, you've worked your way through all these different like stages of, um, you know, making a movie. Like, you know, did you just learn that as you were doing it? Yeah, I mean, I'm self educated in the film. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, other than I took film classes and high school and college but it wasn't Uh film it wasn't film school it was just a regular college Uh with film classes um i relied on tim and the uh director of photography and his assistant which is um matt and evan uh they were um they make films of their own a lot of shorts and so i relied on them to sort of guide me and they didn't know a lot i mean they knew a lot but i mean they didn't know everything that went into it and of making a feature of this scope so we just sort of learned as we go and we thought if we made new cops and evan and matt made all these shorts that we could do it yeah it had a very polished feel to it i felt like um again like i watch a lot of low budget horror and you can tell when that's not polished mm-hmm. i guess to be polite but like you're it, it felt like like a fully realized, you know, complete movie. And I really, like, I was really impressed. I, was, I really enjoyed watching it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll be honest. When you first emailed me, um, and I, I assume you're being a little, like, self-deprecating. You said it was a typical romantic comedy. Um, when I hear the word typical, I'm like, oh, oh no. Um, but no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, my wife, who probably hates romantic comedies more than I do, um, was listening like you know while i was watching and she was laughing at certain things um where she she ever come in and watch it with you she ever come in and watch she never never came in uh, um but um she could hear it um she just didn't come Mm -hmm. in to like watch it but um Mm -hmm. uh but she could hear it and she was laughing at certain uh jokes and stuff like that um you know i remember particularly the video game joke that you have um where the names get Mm -hmm. linked together um you know made her laugh a lot but um mm-hmm. but yeah but no i was um yeah no i i enjoyed the movie and um yeah i'm looking forward to what you do next absolutely oh good um okay oh i did have one last dumb question um leaping lemurs is that really big particularly in kentucky or was that just what you could get away with as a cereal box like or is that just what happened to be around? um now the logos were cleared but that has not been an issue with quality control i kind of yeah. thought that would be Maybe they uh-huh. just assume we got clearance, but logos are not like if you see something on the screen, it was like just stock footage or like uh Night of the Living Dead's free. 
It's mm-hmm. uh, in the public domain. Right. But like logos, I don't think, I think they've even had, either they've never had a lawsuit or they lost or, because even um, there's a, a short for the Oscars called Logorama and it has, I don't know how, thousands and thousands of logos and I'm sure they never got clearance to do all those. Um, right. So I just put it, any old cereal in there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the, the main reasons films don't like to put logos, especially professional ones, is because they want to get at least like free broken computers from Dell or Apple to like fill office scene or something. Even if it's just like free liquor, they want that or they want to get paid or they want to get, you know, uh, their movie advertised on like the Pizza Hut commercial when it comes out, you know, like those big movies have that sort of clout uh we just throw logos around (laughs) uh but yeah i don't think you can ever be sued for showing a logo because i think the lawsuits or something said that the world's filled with logos i think there was like a spider-man billboard in a movie or something Mm -hmm. and so with the world being filled of uh the actual world we live in is filled with logos you can't really right yeah Yeah, you can't escape them right you know i got like seven right in front of me right here yeah um Yeah, yeah. yeah um Okay, so let's go ahead and um, move on. We'll start with you since you're our guest, Jimmy, with your pick. Your pick was Face Off from 1997, um, directed by John Woo. It stars John Travolta, Nicolas Cage, Joan Allen, Gina Gershon, and like, you know, pretty much uh, like 15 character actors that would become more famous in the 10 years after the film's release. Um, It has a 92% from critics and an 82% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I think most of our audience um, that would listen to this podcast probably knows about this movie, but if you haven't seen it, it involves uh, FBI agent uh, Sean Archer, the, the John Travolta character, who becomes obsessed with the uh, infamous terrorist, Caster Troy, who also happened to kill Archer's son. Um, he's uh, When he captures Troy, Troy ends up in a coma, um, but uh, Archer learns that there's a plot in Los Angeles, a bomb plot. Um, he ends up having to go on, undergo surgery to have his face replaced with Troy's. Um, Troy wakes up from his coma, has his face replaced, and um, that's when, like, you know, wackiness ensues and, you know, the real drama of the movie starts. Um, so, Jimmy, um, if you wanted to go ahead and explain, like, um, what is it that you like about this movie so much? Like, why did you pick this for your movie? I thought it would be interesting for a body swap pick. And then I saw that there was an episode you did to it. I was like, going to back out. But then I thought, okay, we'll we'll do it because it's fun. And yeah, uh, we got the Alan Alda one to really talk about. I think that one's, uh, we're going to like probably run a little bit, just a uh, joke on this one a little bit. Uh, I'm sur- If you ever thought comedy was hard to direct and get good reviews, I see Face Off on IMDb at 7.2. I mean, mm-hmm. It's it's cheesy. I mean, he, it's got a style to it because John Woo did it, but like the fact that it's ahead of like Step Brothers and almost close to you know ahead of Step Brothers and Clueless and all these films that get like six point nine and stuff. It's hard to make a comedy that people comedy is very polarizing. So I mm-hmm. they saw at least well received enough to get a seven point two on there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so. Um, what 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 is it that like uh, that you like about the movie? Um, particularly? Oh, uh, I like it's just so cheesy. I like that <laughs> part about it. It's like the way they brush off things, and the stakes are high, but yet it's also like not that high. <laughs> like like they're really just right. Right. Uh, 
you know, they're really just being cavalier about everything about the death of the guy's son and all it's mm-hmm. almost over the top. Uh, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I like that about a movie. Yeah. I always wonder if some of that comes from English not being John Woo's native language. And then maybe there was something lost in translation in the direction portion of it. Like yeah, where he, sh- yeah. Cause I noticed but, that with um, his uh, English language movies and also um, uh, Guillermo del Toro's um, English language. To be fair though, that they're written by English writers, aren't they? So I I wonder why the writings, I think directors, I think you do have something there where uh, Quran is also that way where um, uh, it's more styled. It's more about the visual. It's not about the dialogue per se, although they might be even dialogue heavy. Um, Birdman has a lot of visuals to it. um, That Harry Potter did has a lot of visuals. Mm -hmm. Um, Del Toro definitely does visuals up the wazoo. Like that's that's what he cares about. Um, so maybe they just pick any old script they got and go to town. Uh, uh, I think it's an interesting movie. It's uh, it it glosses by a lot of questions about how this stuff happens, and, and I'm the guy that direct, uh, wrote body swap <laughs> and i feel like i gloss about things but they they really like how the stuff works i don't know <laughs> entirely um uh-huh. like why why he's okay with having his face peeled off his <laughs> right just to just to find out that there's a bomb at the la convention center right. it's like that might have been a easy uh guess you could have maybe just guessed that <laughs> right yeah, I, I think when I when I this is the first time I rewatched it myself because when when Frank did it before the the supplemental podcast we do the Quick Cage just that's just um, our billing for that is Frank watches Nick Cage movies so you don't have to um, so Frank watches all of Nick Cage's movies that's his goal was to eventually reach all of them um, um, so I don't watch those but this is the first time I watched it since the theater um, in twenty four years um, mm-hmm. face off and um, for the first twenty minutes watching Nicolas Cage on that screen, I was like, what the, I, I forgot how over the top he was in that role. Um, and I was like, what the hell am I watching? When I took your point of view though, of just kind of accepting how absurd the entire premises or a lot of the premises, um, I enjoyed it much more once I just decided to make that commitment to like, you know, you know what? No, none of this is ever going to make any sense, really. They're just going to kind of jump around. And I started enjoying it a lot more. Um, the whiskey also helped, um, you know, just get me in that mindset of just enjoying it for what it was. Um, so after I got past Cage in the first 20 minutes um, with the priest outfit and all those kind of things, um, you know, because some of the faces he makes just... Uh, so over the top like it's um it like kind of like makes me like uh cringe but i really enjoyed it after that and i actually think trolled is really good in it um um uh i was i was surprised um like how good travolta was i thought in it um playing the caster troy um you know version yeah i i saw a movie recently called blowout with travolta and i I quite liked it Uh, that's yeah that's a uh uh a little unknown uh movie from the 80s yeah 
Yeah, um, yeah, Frank. Uh, I've known Frank for I don't know how many years now. Frank, um, you know, like twenty one or something, twenty two. Like, and I, Frank's always talked about blow, uh, blowout. Like, that's your favorite De Palma movie, probably, right? Yeah, I think so. It's one of my favorite movies for the use of sound, like ambient sound, and I don't know. I, I just love what he does with that. Um, especially like the scenes where you have tension built with Travolta just listening to audio tapes which shouldn't be like a tense tense scene but it's it plays out really well yeah i really love that movie yeah it's it's fun one i like i always like a movie that starts off with another movie inside it right uh that's a style as chris probably would guess that we do movies within movies on our stuff we did on new cops and Mm -hmm. body swap yeah i saw yeah i saw that um yeah i noticed that there was like it happened in both um uh, so what is your favorite uh, Nicolas Cage film, Frank? Oh, that's a really tough question. Um, I think maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if that's... I listed some, t- rank them. How about this? Like, Okay. Well, well, pick like your top five. <sighs> Adaptation. Um, Red Rock West, um, Peggy Sue Got Married. Uh, Did you get around to Bad Lieutenant yet? The Port of Call of New Orleans? Yeah. I've only seen that movie once, and it was like 15 years ago. That's actually in my um, in my queue right now of ones to watch for the next uh, couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, he's insane in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's that, that's a very intense performance. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch that movie again. Maybe yeah, that that, I I should watch it again. It's probably uncut gems before uncut gems. So, that's a good, really good point. Um, I don't know. I'm more. I I like Nicolas Cage performances that are kind of like unhinged and over the top. Um, so they're probably not his best movies. Mm-hmm. Like, as terrible as it is, I really like his performance in Weatherman just because it's so crazy. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I like I, him a lot in Color Out of Space. Have you seen that? It just came out um, last year. It's I like heard a, of that one. I haven't seen that one or Mandy, yeah, but uh, I've heard of those ones. Yeah, so I, I really love both of those movies. I thought Color Out of Space may be one of the best um, adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you can always tell when Cage is invested in something that he's doing, like where he really cares about the script because he puts just a little something extra in it, um, as opposed to certain movies where he's just kind of sleepwalking. Um, there's a movie I watched recently that I had never heard of before called The Trust. It's him and it's either Elijah Wood or... Um, it's Elijah Wood. Yeah, okay. I always get him and Toby McGuire confused. Um it's like a heist movie, but it's so good. Just this really small, like, heist movie set in Las Vegas. I had never heard of it, but it was, like, great dialogue, great performances, really good movie. Um, well, you, you may never believe this, because uh, this sounds made up. And I wonder if they get Nicolas Cage or, I thought a good choice maybe the guy that's, uh, he does a good Nicolas Cage uh, from The Big Bang Theory. Um the the Howard oh, yeah, guy. he used he, to he does he used, 
Studio 60, he used to do that impression. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Old, that one season at Sorkin show, yep. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so... Uh, this screenplay is from the Reno 911 guys, and these it's a hilarious screenplay. Uh, they haven't made the movie, who knows if they ever will, where it's called Action Number One, and they go to still the Action Number One comic that Nicolas Cage owns, or at least maybe auctioned it off at some point, but he owned the Number One Superman comic. <laughs> so it's a screenplay where they go to still Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage is in the screenplay. I don't know who would play him, either Nicolas Cage or someone else, but uh it's it's very funny that was like a really good premise he's yeah. in that um what's that movie that's supposed to come out this year where it's it's like himself movie, yeah where he plays himself i can't remember the name of that off the top of my head but yeah i saw a couple articles about that um i'm trying not to look ahead to movies anymore because i feel like nothing's ever going to come out again so. <laughs> yeah uh I was talking on another podcast about that is that they said is they're going to be a big gap. I'm like, I would think the gap would be right now because they're holding on to the stuff that you're going to see. Right. Uh, so once that stuff's being released, then they can shoot whatever when that's being released. I think the gap's right now. How long that is, I don't know. But you're going to get some trickles. It's helpful for independent films because we had too much independent films out. Um, it was hard to get into film festivals and... It was just oversaturated market. Uh, so sort of having that barrier, although the barrier is bad, uh, a bad current event, uh, the, right. the barrier is good for filmmakers because I think we just had too much out. Well, it's <laughs> definitely people pushed me more into watching yeah. things that I might have just like like glossed over previously. Yeah, it gives us a longer life on the shelf, too. I think Body Swap, I don't have to, especially for independent films, we don't have the um, saturation in the market, too, where we can just flood and make a bunch of money off the first few weekends. We had to, like, build word of mouth. So that was hard to do in the old day. The, it was okay. You could do it in the 2000s with the Napoleon Dynamite or Garden State or whatever. Those are Andy Wood movies, but... Well, Napoleon Dynamite isn't, but there, uh, you know, you could you could build a word of mouth. You can't you can do that pre-COVID because it's just like another thing would be out and you get buried. So now that there's not that many movies out, you can sort of build word of mouth. I can go on these podcasts and get people to watch it. Right. They have nothing else to watch. Uh, I don't have to keep dropping the price or put it on streaming for free right away. I can, you know, hopefully make make the return on investment and make another one after yeah it's really interesting you use the term indie wood because i was i was thinking that when i was watching your movie how i always think that i watch a lot of independent movies but really what i'm watching is just studio films mm-hmm. that are kind of like marketed as independent but it was i just thought it was really interesting to watch like a, a movie that was truly made outside of like that system completely well getting um, like fifty thousand in one place it's very hard. So imagine the hundreds of thousands they use for these even bigger uh, movies with stars and big crews and all that stuff. It adds up. Uh, there's a reason they like all those tax incentives from Georgia and Louisiana. It's because you get 20% of your budget back. But you have to spend a certain amount. That's interesting. Clearwater, Florida is an interesting one because you get 10% back, but you don't have to spend... You could spend my type of money there on a film. 
they they have no cap of uh no small cap we have so, um oh go ahead i'm sorry what were you saying no we have a lot of people in this area that go to clearwater every year um ironically mm-hmm. because it's where the philadelphia phillies have their training camp mm-hmm. so i wonder if that's just part of their thing is trying to pull people in all year round between like the baseball training camps and then if that's it where they're like trying to bring people into film movies yeah, I mean, I think they're just like advertising that they're a tropical, you know, they got money there. So so if they can get you to go Dolphin Tail and a few other things are shot there. There's a new movie coming out. Anything that takes place in Tampa, you know, uh, the uh, there is this story based off a tweet about this girl that went to Tampa and it played Sundance this year called Zola. So not only am I advertising Louisville filming, I'm advertising Clearwater. But uh, I went there and I was thinking, I got a Hawaii horror film. It'd be good to shoot there, you know. So I might shoot something there. I'll definitely watch that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So, Frank, let's go ahead and move on to um, what you chose, which was uh, 1971's The Mephisto Waltz. It is directed by Paul Wengos. Um, it stars Alan Alla, Jacqueline Bissett, Kurt Jurgens, and Barbara Parkins. It has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, a 39% from audiences. Um, you wanted to tell us a little bit about the movie and why you picked it? Um, it's a horror film centering on um, Alan Alda's Miles character, who's a <clears throat> kind of frustrated former uh, pianist project, prodigy um, who's turned to being a um, whatever, like a music journalist. Um, he meets this aging uh, leukemia-ridden uh, uh, concert pianist who's really famous. Um, they form a friendship and the older gentleman, um, Duncan, convinces Miles to like kind of pursue his former love of playing the piano, but has these really weird like overtures to him where he's like holding his hands and looking at his hands and like commenting on, you know, how he could have been like this great pianist. Um, Duncan's uh, young daughter lives with him and she kind of expresses some romantic interest in him. Um, Miles is married to Jacqueline Bissett's uh, Paula, um, who doesn't like Duncan and his daughter. Um, and with good reasons, it turns out that they're I guess maybe Satanists, but it's kind of like some weird, like French voodoo Satanism. <laughs> I don't know. It's very um, light. It's 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 definitely got some uh, conspiracy. Speaking of conspiracy vibes of, yeah, right. But it's like there's no real magic. It's just like I got this blue potion, and if I dab it on your head, then like I can do whatever I want. So pretty pretty threadbare in like the the logic for like how the magic works. Yeah. Um, but they, they murder Miles and take his body um, so Duncan can be young again. Um, and you think it's going to be like, the first time you see it, I think that the initial impression is it's going to be Jacqueline Bissett's character like finding out the truth and then like killing them both or getting some kind of revenge. But she just steals the daughter's body and then they just like stay together. Like It's really... She basically says, I don't care if it's really my husband. Like, I just want my husband's body. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then it ends with them, like, kind of incestuously, sort of incestuously. I don't know if that's still incestuously at that point. But, like, I don't know, like, making out in the parlor together. And 
Um, I, I rented this movie. Odd. Yeah, it's it's got a very late 60s, like mid to late 60s horror vibe to it. Like, it doesn't quite have the same feel of, like, the horror from the 70s, stuff like Texas Chainsaw or Exorcist or yeah. more of, like, that um, that drawing room humor, uh, 1960s uh, feel. Um, mm-hmm. I think Alan Alda and Jacqueline Bissett are the best parts of the movie. Um, it's kind of interesting to see Alan Alda playing a villain because he usually plays like the affable, you know, guy next door type character. Um, Jacqueline yeah. Bissett is fucking beautiful, one of my favorite actresses from the 60s and 70s. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, I was really, I was excited because I didn't know if we'd ever get to talk about this movie. And I know it's not very well received, but um, like, I really like it a lot. Like, I, re- I think it's really charming. And it's it got a definitely, good sense. It definitely had a film, uh, female lead. I thought Alan Alda be more in it. It's a female lead movie, which is, uh, I like those. Yeah. Um, uh, I gravitate to writing those characters. Uh, yeah, I, I liked uh, the main character, which I would say is... Uh, uh the wife's uh, the wife as uh, character is very she's got a lot got a lot on her plate so to speak right yeah like and i just thought about this like their daughter dies and she's i don't know i guess she's just cool about it like it upsets her for like a little <laughs> bit but then she kind of just moves on yeah that's a common th- theme in these movies we picked is their their kids dying and i guess you can't just weigh down the movie totally with that all the time but <laughs> right. other other movies that's the whole plot is dealing with the kid dying right uh, and it's like a shoehorn into some of these others well the daughter in all fairness is pretty obnoxious anyways so. yeah yeah oh yeah i think that's where the audience so you don't care that she does right um, like you can move on just as easy as that, this movie spoiler alert kills kids and dogs in it and somehow you're totally okay <laughs> right well <laughs> you're not that the, upset yeah the, the dog hurt me worse than the right i <laughs> felt worse child. about the dog i didn't feel that bad because it's just a dog acting it looked like the dog was just laying down with the right, right, yeah. <laughs> very very fake amount of blood like on its chest yeah uh-huh. <laughs> um but yeah so it was Again, the, the movie I never thought we would talk about on the podcast, but I thought it was a good opportunity to sort of like, I don't know, maybe a hidden gem. I don't know how much of a gem it is, but I really enjoy this movie from a, you know, nostalgic standpoint. This is one of the movies like when Netflix was only um, physical media that I got just randomly, like I found it and rented it from Netflix or borrowed it from Netflix, however you say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd never known anything about it before, so... I don't know. I really like Alan Alda a lot, and I like Jacqueline said. And I think it's probably worth watching if you can find it. Yeah, I think sure. I said this to you off air, but um, the only thing that like struck me was that it feels like the Duncan Eli character once he inhabits um, what's it, Miles's body. Yeah, because Alan Alda is such a nice guy, it's almost like the Duncan the character becomes like less villainous. In some ways, right. because Alan Alda is so, just such like the most affable, like you know, genuinely kind guy in the world, it's almost like he's like trying to be a little sinister at times. And sometimes he's successful, but a lot of times he just seems like a really nice kind of like meager guy. Um, and, I don't like, know. It, I felt I felt he was more of a villain. I thought when he was the Duncan Eli character, he was just sort of a uh, an eccentric like prick, and then he's like it's <laughs> more crazy he's like uh 
And that's a, a common thing is like, yeah, they'll be switching and then they're, uh, they don't even try to like, uh, the both films face off in this is that they don't even really try to hide who, <laughs> hide right. who they've swapped. They're just like mm-hmm. acting way yeah, no, different. No, no effort made to adopt the mannerisms of um, the Miles character, even though we spent like months with He's just yeah. like, you know, I just want to have sex all the time and do what I want. And, <laughs> She's like, yeah, that's cool. Like we, like I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny though. It's like I got very, um, and I didn't. I, I'm assuming this was like an original script or something. But it's like I got very uh, Poe vibes off of this whole movie as I was watching it. It felt like something that would have been adapted from Edgar Allan Poe or something along those lines. Like you have this kind of an unknowable female like lead. Like you don't know what she's thinking half the time. You don't know why she's acting the way she is. Um, but you have these kind of like macabre events with people taking over each other's bodies. It's very Elijah mixed with yeah. like, um, I don't know, like Casco Montalado or something like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it just sound, sounded very Poe, like of these, like kind of. It's based off a novel. Is it? I have no, yeah. Cause that was the thing when I was watching it um, for the podcast, the guy's name is um, Fred Mustard Smith is the author hmm. of like the original novel. So I have no idea. I think he wrote the screenplay too. Hmm. But I have no idea who that dude is, but I guess if you want to look up his, uh, yeah, I'll have to look him up. Fred Mustard. Yeah. Um, it's not a name you'll forget. Um, I'll give him that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, Sounds I, like I a felt like blue character. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I really like the dream sequences in it. Like, I don't know. It just, it really feels like, very solid like hammer movie that's not a hammer movie yeah it's very experimental it's not uh it's it's most of the comments uh that i see like when i was watching it like on youtube it's on youtube you can look at the comments and they're like in spanish and italian and people (laughs) saying how yeah i don't know what they're saying i mean (laughs) i think you can translate on google just strike the comments and you can read them uh but sometimes i forget to do that uh but yeah it's a real foreign film i can see it's a foreign favorite they love movies i think body body swap and the limited amount of release of just kind of what i can tell is doing well in europe um so i think that they like the uh italian actresses uh and and uh sort of the like sort of its casual style of a uh, body swap um they're more into the casual movies that's that's an interesting thing because I didn't even think about that. So like you know through like um like Vimeo or like you know whatever you're working with, do you get metrics and stuff? I mean I know that we do. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I even on a different podcast named the different places they're seeing it, which is um I'll pull it up again just for fun. Uh, America Far and Away, I would is like three three fifths of the people are from America. That, that's seen it uh and then you got uk it's like a second but it's a distant second and then after that it's tied with france australia canada and then i got a bunch of little countries germany austria switzerland those all speak german though uh japan bermuda singapore hong kong netherlands it, uh italy uh turkey romania so it's different places all over. Uh, I got it in 104 languages. 
Uh, you, is that your responsibility to get it like subtitled or whatever? In the yeah. Well, on YouTube, I can put it up secretly. YouTube will give me a a a, a translation at, that sort of makes sense, and so I was transcribe that, and then I get it really timed. There's a, a program called Subtitle Edit that I use. And then when I do the English one, which is a straight translation, I go and I do a edit where I edit anything out that just is not needed that might confuse a foreign audience and translate that. Into and the you're, one you're doing that yourself in the editing process? Yeah. Uh, well, in the marketing process. Mark, yeah. This yeah. process, about I did it in July or so. Um, and so I put it on 104 languages. That's more than most movies have because you usually have to pay for those territories but on vimeo the good news is i just put it uh they have an option to put all those languages which is great and then you also um uh you know you also just need to it doesn't cost any extra money to put those languages up so anyone all over the world can at least get the subtitles they should be pretty accurate uh i checked from japan uh, I checked from English to Spanish and English to French and back and I checked the English to Japanese, which would be a different style. Uh, Arab and Russian, I might need to redo. I don't know, but they were the simple translations translated to and from. I usually do a telephone type thing where I translate it to and then translate it back to see what right. I get. Right. Um, How long does that take per language? Uh, per language? It took a long time to get it just right where I got the a simplified enough English one where I felt, oh, it's it's good. Okay. Um, especially for like Germanic languages and Japan actually is not so bad uh translating back and forth because French and Spanish are more about the gender not mattering, which is interesting because mm-hmm. they seem to always put a gender article in front of pen and pencil and mm-hmm computer but Mm -hmm. they don't seem to care with humans at all i I don't get it so that's the confusing thing with those languages but once i did it yeah it wasn't but a a few hours to do translating into all the languages there's a program that you just put the uh, folder in there and it'll give it back to you Mm -hmm. okay that's pretty amazing like i don't ever even think about that aspect of yeah the way subtitles are, are are done in the uh the way subtitle files are done, it's a, like a notepad. Uh, subtitle edit is a little bit more complicated, but uh, is much easier. Uh, it's a notepad where they say when the time starts and when the time stops, and then the dialogue underneath it, and then you just keep doing that. Yeah, so it's very similar to like the process of YouTube or something like that, like with just like the notepad, like with the timestamps and. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't even think about those aspects. I mean, I'm I'm just as I email podcasters, I email I have a whole list of foreign reviewers and I I I check the if it dot ends in dot fr, it's France. If it ends in dot right. mm-hmm. br, it's or whatever I can't think of them all. That's Brazil. So Portuguese. So I will list all those and then I will send a uh my email in English, but I'll have a paragraph to start it off with in French to where the, all the necessary info and say, this is available in 104 languages, French being one of them, check it out. Hopefully 
that'll get some of the foreign reviewers to check it out. Uh, uh, they, they don't have as much reach. Obviously, France is a much smaller country. Uh, Germany, all these places are much smaller. Finland. Uh, but if you could get a good amount of the audience in those places, it, it would be it would be real nice. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's fascinating. It's something I'll definitely have to. Um, I teach technical rating and stuff like that, so I'll have to. Um, Bring that up to them. Um, I'll have to I write. Have a lot of, I have a lot of marketing majors and stuff like that, so I have to bring that. I'm up. I'm kind of thinking of writing more simply for foreign audiences, uh, not so much cutting down the jokes or anything, but maybe making it extraneous words that don't need like like and uh and stuff like that. Uh, be more. Uh, um, be more uh, cautious with my words. You know, <laughs> be more. Uh, um conservative or whatever you know it's an interesting consideration that you know how is it going to translate because we have so much i mean all of us have been doing it the whole time with like you know and so many things that we have that are just empty words that don't really have any meaning <laughs> that i can see how that would be difficult i like english in that it's very precise there's a word for everything you could ever think of right and, and so and if there isn't well well um We'll use we'll use a foreign word. The word shampoo is an Indian word, you know, right, right. for head, head massage. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of foreign words we use. Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so, Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, as uh, we wish you the best in terms of getting back up and I wish running. You all the best. Um, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, it's. Um, you know, uh, hopefully we'll get this vaccine soon and, <laughs> you know, in the next, you know, four months or so, like uh, if we can your... trust it, uh, it's, I don't know. I'm a conspiracy theorist, so <laughs> I don't, um, <laughs> but if you all trust it, uh, go ahead. I'm, yeah. Buddy, I'm tired of sitting inside. I'll just, I'll, I'll take it. It's cool. Yeah. 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 Um, Give me the vaccine or give me death at this point. Yeah, I'm tired of sitting <laughs> at home. So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, once you get up and running again, um, you know, I, I you know, I hope you mm-hmm. all goes well with the film. And when you're bodyswapmovie.com, yeah, yes, um, on Vimeo, I'll put the link in the description. But with um, she's a princess. Once you get it up and running, and once you're done, if you want to come back and talk about yeah. that, and we'll figure yeah. out a, a princess topic or something. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you never we'll, know. There's lots of them. Yeah. All right. So thanks again, Jimmy. Take care, um, everybody. Thanks for listening and have a great Thank day. You. Thank you, Chris and Frank. Yep. Thank you, Jimmy.